politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to fight for our lives and our future here to see our podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Thursday, September 8th. And when we're formulating a plan to save ourselves from a tyrannical government, it's important to go back to the basics and remember, why do we have a government in the first place? You know, our founders understood there were so many harms inherent in giving a governing body monopoly power, even over the limited purview that they originally intended. Why did they do it? Well, obviously, because if you have nothing, then you have the tyranny of anarchy. First and foremost, that is your life, protecting your life from criminals. We have a government to protect us from what is going on today in cities like Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, a red state, and that's going to play a big role in what we talk about today. And yet that is the only thing the government doesn't do. The very same government that harnesses technology, spying, surveilling, monitoring cameras everywhere to catch people for doing things that aren't crime. Somehow when you have the most vicious people that harm other people, rape, rob, and murder, somehow we're impotent. I don't know, we can't catch them, we can't convict them, we have to plead down. And then we're stuck today with the worst crime wave we've ever had. And yes, it's occurring in red states. But like every other issue, at the time that it mattered, when the crazy left was pushing this de-incarceration movement, not only weren't Republicans a counter to it, but they actually went and helped them, helped them accomplish very unpopular things they could have never accomplished on their own, rather than pointing their fingers at them. You want to do what? You want to let out robbers and murderers and decrease sentencing? Are you kidding me? No, they went along with it, so the public never even knew about it. And then now it's blowing up. And even now, when most Republicans will rhetorically complain about the defunding police or crime, they're still supporting the very policies that cause this, and they're certainly not supporting and pushing policies in all the states that they control to rectify this. So we're going to focus a lot on the crime issue today, centering in Memphis, and what it means broadly politically. First, our sponsor today, very appropriately, is iTarget Pro. Well, with all the criminals out today, you certainly can't rely on the police and the injustice system. You have to protect yourself and your family. The problem is, as I've mentioned a lot, we're all into Second Amendment, but you have to be trained. You have to know how to properly draw from a holster, properly shoot, trigger control. Um, you know, you got to make sure you win the gunfight. That's why I recommend iTarget Pro for dry fire practice. Uh, ideally, you go to the range all the time, but you know it's it takes time. You have to find a good time to go, and most importantly, the price of ammunition is out of control. With dry fire practice with a laser bullet, you will make back that money in one training session, literally, like $100 worth. iTarget has a propriety app. You download. They give you a board, and so you go online. You buy the... Uh, caliber that fits your handgun or rifle. They have 223 for AR as well, but 45 cal, 9 mil, 38 special, whatever it is. And then you put it in your, you make sure you have no real ammo around, put it in your uh, you know safety check, chamber check, mag out, put in the dummy bullet, download the app, shine your phone on this board, and it will time your draw from the holster. Point in a safe direction where you could do dry fire practice and it is, it's fun, it's also very accurate. If you jerk that trigger and then your shots will go down, you'll see it, it will render it that way. You have everything except for the recoil. It is so much worth it and it's also something that is indispensable. So go to itargetpro.com, save 10% plus get free shipping with offer code CR. I know a lot of people um, get this as a gift. It's a good gift if you have a birthday coming up for someone. Again, the letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. So I was going to do a show today on my column I wrote yesterday 
about Eliza Fletcher, who should be our George Floyd. This should be our George Floyd moment, except it's someone who's deserving of being commemorated. A terrific mother and school teacher who was kidnapped and brutally murdered by a career criminal who should have been in prison had we had a functioning system that you know, believed in the ideals of justice and deterrent. And this is in the red state of Tennessee. I don't want to hear this business, oh, Memphis is a blue city. But Republicans control the state. And the criminal justice statutes are done by the legislature and the governor. But then, before the ink dried on that, last night, there was another thing. And, and this has been a whole trend. Memphis is out of control, as many cities are. But in red states, just as much as blue states. And you had this guy who did committed two carjackings and a bunch of shootings. He live-streamed them on Facebook. See, as long as you're not putting out information on vaccine injury, it's okay to do that on Facebook. Four people are dead, three injured. Half the city was on lockdown just because, I mean, you know, and before the trauma from Eliza Fletcher's murder subsided, and by the way, there were several other kidnappings before then. There's been over 100 kidnappings this year in Memphis. Um, Memphis is, I mean, it's just out of control. Out of control. They uh, set a record for homicide both in 2020 and then again in 2021. They have the ninth highest homicide rate in the country, and it's ranked the most violent metro area in the country. This is in a red state. Okay? So, why? Why is it like that? Well, because because of people like Ezekiel Kelly, but more importantly, because of people like Republican Governor Bill freaking Lee. So, last night, they apprehended Ezekiel Kelly, who's a suspect, 19 years old after he crashed a stolen vehicle. But again, not before four were left dead, three injured from a shooting spree, carjacked two cars. As you well know, someone doesn't get to this point out of nowhere. Very rarely do you go from zero to carjacking and shooting sprees, you know, killing four people. Okay? Just like in the case of Eliza Fletcher's alleged killer, that guy Abstin uh, Henderson... This guy should have been behind bars in a just society in a so-called red state. In February 2020, when he was 17 years old, he was charged with attempted first-degree murder, aggravated assault, using a firearm to commit a dangerous felony, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon. I don't know the story behind it, you know, the the, the statement of narrative. Uh, I haven't checked that up yet, but those were the charges. Now, how much do you think someone should be sentenced for something like that? Now, I guarantee you he had a bunch of priors before then, but it's very hard to find juvenile records. I guarantee you that wasn't his first time, and he likely had other violent um, charges, but I can't prove it. So to me, if you have other charges, so it depends. If this is your third one, I think it should be life. No, no exceptions. But let's say it wasn't. You would think, something like that, 25 years, let's say. But as always, he accepted a plea deal to only do assault, and it was just three years. And then somehow, you have early release, and he only served 11 months, so he was released in March 2022, just a couple months ago. In other words, even had he served that flaccid sentence that he should have gotten a lot more for, he would have been in jail, these people would be alive. And this is the case with 80 to 90% of, of homicide victims, rape victims, they never had to happen. If we would only lock up the incorrigibly violent people that have already gotten their due process, you would prevent most murders in this country. That has always been true, even at the height of our tough-on-crime era in the 90s and early 2000s, and certainly true today that Republicans and Democrats have reversed that trend in the criminal justice system.
Any sane society that is pro-life, this is a pro-life issue, would audit within their respective states. What are all the reasons why? I'm not even getting to drugs. I'm talking about murder, rape, aggravated assault, armed robbery, kidnapping, things like that. How do these people escape justice? How are they able to plead down? Why are the prosecutors forced to accept the pleas? What is, you know, with all this technology that we have that we can nail anyone doing anything, but somehow it's no use when it comes to when we actually need it. Right? It's not like the old days when you kind of suspect or you you know deep down the guy committed it, but you can't prove it. We have everything, all the technology. But somehow the prosecutors even I'm not just talking about the source prosecutors. I'm talking about even good ones. They're forced to because they, they, they just all these loopholes, so they have to go for the lesser thing. And that creates a velocity of leniency that gives them 10 more years to keep committing crimes. So that was his story. And that came right after Eliza Fletcher's murder. Each one requires a policy change. And I've been texting with some friends of mine in the legislature, and we're literally texting. In the middle of it, we're all like, where is Governor Bill Lee? Even the Memphis mayor and prosecutor is a Soros guy, by the way. They're feigning outrage. These guys should have served the whole sentence. If you get three years, it should be three years. And yet Bill Lee today is meeting with, right on crime, the pseudo-Republican phony co-funded group. To this day... Pushing criminal justice deform. They don't mean our reforms. They mean deform. He's not saying anything. We were like, why isn't he saying anything? Oh, that's why. Because they're probably meeting in hushed tones, not outraged about the murder and innocent victims, but darn, how do we make sure this doesn't jeopardize our de-incarceration movement? Folks, let me tell you something very profound. It's true with crime, but it's true on every issue. Republicans support Democrat issues more intrepidly, more passionately, and more sincerely than Democrats do. Because with Democrats, we all know it's politics, it's control. They, they want it not because they believe in it so much, they want to control you. So they're strategic about it. So in this case, they're worried people are going to rebel, so they kind of like walk it back, even the source prosecutor. Yeah, you know, these guys need to serve their sentence. Whereas Bill Lee and, Mo and every Republican governor except for DeSantis... Every Republican governor, except for DeSantis, to varying degrees, buys into this. Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma, Greg Abbott in, in, in Texas. They believe that we lock up too many people. And no, they don't mean the January Sixers and the political crimes. They mean people like this. They think we have an over-incarceration, not an under-incarceration problem. Everyone, I guess Brian Kemp, to his credit, is kind of not like that. Okay, maybe it's one or two others, but but most of them, to this day, you think, okay, 10, 15 years ago, they, they roped, got roped into this agenda because crime was low, so they forgot the reason why it was low, and the days it was high, and the reason it was high, now they have no excuse. They'll say, oh, the Democrats wanted to fund the police, crime wave, and then they continue to support jailbreak, de-incarceration. Bill Lee has a religious belief in de-incarceration more than the left. That man is disgusting, yet he didn't even have a token-filed candidate against him in the primary. Just now, got renominated four more years of him. Now, the legislature is pretty good on this issue, and they're going to override his veto. And, you know, and I'm working, as always, I'm not just commentating. I'm actually working on policy outcomes, what needs to be done. And we'll talk about it together with this other, this other murder, what needs to be done. First, our other sponsor today, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider. Rather than being on the front lines of, by the way, promoting most of these companies cr pr promote jailbreak and de-incarceration, they instead fight for the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and the Second Amendment. Um, the thing is, why wouldn't you change? Well, usually when you have kind of this new up-and-coming alternative, the service isn't as good. Nope. you get They use the same cell phone tower, so you pretty much have the same distribution, nationwide coverage as the major carriers like Spy Mobile and AT&T, Verizon. 
Um, but you actually, one of the big problems I have um, all throughout the years with Verizon and AT&T, you always get these, when you have problems with your service and the internet's down or whatever, um, you get these guys in India, you can't understand a word they're saying. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, you'll actually get an American here on the line, great service, offer code is CR for free activation. So again, go to patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR. If you're a first responder or a veteran, let them know. They have a special discount for you because they actually share our values. Now, folks, so we had this case of Elijah Fletcher. You know, we celebrated the lives of these dirtbags like Blake and St. George Floyd. But, you know, at least in Tennessee, Eliza Fletcher is getting a lot of coverage, her death, her murder. Um, But the thing is, there's thousands of people like her. Thousands of people like her every day. And most of the time, if we had a functioning justice system, their lives would be together today. Kind of like, you know, the vaccines. Senseless, needless, needless deaths. Again, abortion is not the only pro-life issue. And again, I, I, even, even if you're a super libertarian on drugs, I'm, not, I'm talking about things that everyone agrees are violent, they're threats to other people, they're threats to our life and liberty, and that's at its core why you have a government. And if they can't do this, then, then Bill Lee, resign. What's the purpose in having a government if you don't believe in incarceration for violent criminals? And I just want to say just how ubiquitous this is. I just want to, I've said this before, but to our new listeners, I'm going to repeat some of these statistics just to demonstrate the under-incarceration problem. Again, I'm not even talking about drugs and firearms, which, as you well know, those usually hit up for those two. It's because they're committing the murders, robbers, rapes, and, and, and um, you know, all things like that. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the people directly arrested for the violent criminal categories. So you have to understand there's a bunch of different levels. First, you have to find a guy. Often we don't find someone. You have to affect an arrest. Just because you arrest, who says you could land a conviction? Just if you can, who says if you land a conviction, who says it will be anywhere near the level of crime he likely committed because of the pleading down? And then even then, the sentencing 90% of the time is too lenient. And then even then, you have the early release. So when you get down to it, what percentage of violent cr- crimes are punished with the proper level of deterrence and justice? It's You're talking about, you know, I mean, I once did the math in Minnesota. I, for, I, for, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like the amount of people that were wound up serving the time that was within the guidelines. It was, it was infinitesimal for felonies and... Um, it was, and again, that didn't even account for, no, it wasn't serving. That didn't even account for the early release. That just, what you know, that they were sentenced to. It was like 17% sentenced to the guidelines, and often the guidelines are pathetic. And, and, and often the guidelines are low because their previous conviction priors were lower on the score level than they should be. They have criminal points because those were pled down and yada, yada. Let me, let me kind of give you a sense of that. In 2019, that's the data I have in front of me. That you probably could get 2020 from the FBI, from the FBI. Just 61% of the 14,325 homicides were even cleared. And by the way, as you well know, in 2020, it went up to like 20,000 homicides. Just 61% were cleared. Just 33% of the 125,000 rapes were cleared. Just 30% of the 239,000 armed robberies were cleared. And just 52%, about half of the 726,000 aggravated assaults were cleared. Just those four categories. 
Do you know what that means? That in just one year, 5,529 murder cases, 83,752 rape cases, 166,000 armed robbery cases, and 346,000 round up to 347,000 aggravated assault cases, there was no arrest for. Right? That means that in among just the four violent categories alone, in one year, there were over 758,000 violent crime cases that went without a resolution. Mind you, a resolution often means time served, one year, a half a year, nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, parole, uh, supervised release, uh, home, uh, home arrest, uh, home you know, service or um, you know, community service, whatever. But 758,000, that's one year. And every year, it's pretty much the same, you know, give or take. Now, it doesn't mean 758,000 individuals, because obviously there's a lot that are committing a number of things, but cases where there was no justice for. But it's certainly, you know, you'd say several hundred thousand criminals. So you don't need to even come on to, oh, you know, we, we go after all these blacks for low-level crimes. That's, that's the line. That's the line they say. Uh, drugs. It, I didn't even get to firearms, which, again, those are usually the gangbangers. Just those four. I didn't even have kidnapping in there. But, but, you know, these are the big numbers, 758,000 in one year. Every year, it's kind of a similar thing. Okay? And then the rest of them, the other kind of half of that, however many that is, you know, let's say, like, there's another 700,000 or so that are cleared, but they're cleared in the sense that they just, they cleared the case. It doesn't mean you disposed of the case with, Every murderer getting life without parole, you know, every, you know, aggravated robbery, um, rape getting at least 30 years. No, no. Most of the time they don't. That's the next point. How long do the people serve? So, so these are the people we never catch. What about the ones we do? So I have another data point, a way of um, estimating that. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, among prisoners released from state prison in 2018... Now, I want to clarify, if you're released in 2018, that means you went into the system at the earlier part of the decade or the previous decade before all these jailbreak measures. So if you were to talk about the people going into the system today with all of the Republican jailbreak legislation in almost every red state, oh my gosh, it's going to be exponentially lower. But this is, this is more the um, end result of the era of tough-on-crime sentencing. On average, okay, they only served 44% of their sentences. Meaning they took all the people that left state prison in 2018. We're going to look at the records, what percentage of their sentence, which again, to begin with, is always downgraded, 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 pled down, pled down, did they, did they serve? And that the answer is just 44%. Even for murder, it was only 58% of their sentence. Think about that. The, then they, they study the median length of time served for crime. What's the median if you would add up, you know, let's say, um, you know, whatever, there's, there's 2,000 murderers that left state prison that year. If, what's the median time served? It was less than 10 years for 30%. So a good chunk, about a third of the murderers, served less than 10 years. It was more than 20 years in only 42% of cases. So in other words, almost 60% served some amount less than 20 years. This is murder. The median time served for rape was less than 10 years in 64% of prisoners. In total, 71% of those serving time for a violent crime category served less than five years, and nearly half served less than two years. And those are the ones, that's among those who actually serve. And yet we are told we have, but this was unanimous, our old listeners, you're, you're my witness. I was the last man standing in conservative politics on this issue. I was like, what are you talking about? 
you know, you could find areas we need to fix, like overcharging political crimes. But, you know, on net, we have an under incarceration problem. And there, there's so many, so many things that need to be fixed. The pretrial release, the juvenile stuff, the parole, the, the good time credits, which are a joke, the, um, the pleading down, the evidentiary standards. And I'm all for due process, and they're going after us without due process. But then you have guys that have eons more due process than our founders ever imagined, and it's not good enough. And then, by the way, another big point that I want a lot of you guys to understand that a lot of times you see the most brutal. So, so let me let me let me say this. Let me let me uh, kind of preface this by saying this: before we had the breakdown of society like we have today, there was once a time where you didn't have ubiquitous murder, ubiquitous rape, ubiquitous aggravated assault, where you have the knockout culture. Well, you, you, you'll just you'll just grab a guy in the street and beat him senselessly just for no reason. Typically, they were targeted, either petty thief or if they were, you know, the bigger ones, they were targeted. A love affair, a wife, a business partner, you know, money it was involved. It was, it was targeted. Now, obviously, they deserve justice. Obviously, a life was lost. I believe in the biblical values that um, uh, um, murder and I believe uh, har- hardcore rape as well should be, get the death penalty and certainly life without parole. Which, which is not the case, as we just read from the BJS. But, you know, at least most of those people, they're not a broader threat to society beyond that person. You know, the, the kind of crimes of passion. Beyond that person, you know, it's not like they're going to randomly shoot someone on the street, randomly, um, you know, start beating someone in a subway. They're not like that. The threat we have today, especially among the youth, is this culture of violence. And you see it on, you know, with all these NYPD videos in New York, and but it's, it, it's in Memphis, it's in all these cities in red, red states, where you have a whole generation that's undeterred, they don't get punished, and juveniles, nothing happens to them. So they start it when they're juveniles, beating people senselessly, even rapes at, at really young ages. And even murder, they don't get tried as adults often. Nothing happens to them. Very little happens to them. But I'm making a very specific point that needs to be fixed in statute in almost every state. Who's a bigger threat? The CSI, like, you know, you know, premeditated plot that's targeted? Or kind of the street guy that just randomly beats someone to death? Well, it's the latter. is a bigger threat because if you have them out... They're going to be doing that randomly to any number of people. So again, that's the violent youth. It's the somewhat mentally ill, the homeless. Not that all homeless are like that, but among them you have that element. That's the big public safety threat now. I'm here to inform you that the former cases are the ones tried as, as um, first degree. Often these cases, are they st- at the charging level, they start at second degree and are only pled down from there. That's how that that's how you have so many people, like I just read. Generally speaking, in most states, if you're if we nail a conviction of first degree murder, first degree rape, generally you're gonna serve a lot of time or life. But most of the time you don't get there. And one of the reasons is because sometimes from the get-go, they can only charge you a second degree. Meaning we need to change. Most of the public thinks degrees are like degrees of severity. They're not. They're super technical. So I don't mean like premeditation. But premeditation is nothing. I mean, that's not the issue. If you have a guy that, meaning you, you could have like you get into a bar fight or something. It was kind of two-way, but you know you punch him and he falls and he hits his head and it's a fluke. He dies. I, I think you know even someone like me who's who's a uh, you know give everyone the electric chair. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's a guy like that should be charged with a level of, you know, the death penalty or 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 life in prison. But if you have a, a random guy that just just, you know, you you don't have anything to do with him, um it wasn't kind of like a, a you know, a fight that got out of control. You just grab an innocent person they had nothing to do with and you beat them silly. You rape them. You murder them or you rearrange their face for an aggravated assault that guy should be hung 
But what I'm telling you is it's not the case. You have the, you have these brutal rapes, and it, at the charge level, it starts second, third degree. We need to really work on updating that. That's a big, big reason to that. But anyway, Eliza Fletcher. So who's this guy? Cleotha Abstin, 38 years old. So in this case, very interesting. At the service level, it's not so egregious. He's he he. The last crime he committed it was in 2000. He stuffed a guy in the trunk, kidnapped him. Probably would have murdered him had the guy not escaped. He was a a lawyer, the guy that a defense attorney that was actually ironically uh, um, kidnapped. The guy was a, a juvenile at the time. He had other juveniles, one as young as 12, involved in it. Abducted a guy at gunpoint. He was sentenced to 24 years. So 24 years, kidnapping, okay, well, that, that doesn't sound egregiously bad. Now, he was released after 21. And the thing is, so just like the guy last night, Kelly, this guy, Abstin, he was released early, and had he not been released, Eliza Fletcher would have been alive because he would have been serving until, like, 2025. But he was released. He got 15% of his time shaved off. So there's a number of things to say about this. First of all, a guy who commits a crime like that, especially because he had a violent past as a juvenile before that, should have served the entire time. Good time credits are a complete joke. It's an automatic. It's not like, oh, if you're really amazing in prison, you get time off. It's almost impossible not to get it. This guy, um, I broke the news yesterday because I got it from my sources in Tennessee. On his infraction record, and this was pretty recently, meaning towards the end of his term, 2019, 2020, right before he's released, he had indecent exposure in prison. He had a gun somehow he got in prison. He had... Drugs in prison, he was tampering with the security cameras, a couple other things. Right after that, he was released. Eliza Fletcher would have been alive. Why is that happening? That's happening in all 50 states, including the red states. It's a joke. Good time credits need to be ended. To be fair, the good guys in Tennessee, friends of mine, were responsible for a bill that Bill Lee wanted to veto, but he only didn't veto it because they had enough to override it ensuring that both the guy from last night for aggravated assault, he had three years and he served 11 months, and this guy had 24 years for kidnapping but only 20 served only 21. Every, like, the top eight or ten violent crime categories, you have to serve the full sentence. So that should be a no-brainer in any, any state. Now, it's only henceforward, but had, if not for Bill Lee and his culture of leniency, they could have passed that a few years ago, and all those victims would be alive today. Now, a lot of these guys are like, well, Daniel, okay, 21, 24 years, they were released anyway, so, you know, whatever. Well, first of all, it matters because if you have thousands of criminals, it, it's a numbers game. So you shave off a few years from each one, you're dealing with an exponentially greater threat quicker. Um, you have more people being let out at a quicker time frame, so the supervised parole is much harder to deal with with the parole officers. But more foundationally, it's not just about those few years. This guy even before the 2000 carjacking and kidnapping. He had, in 1996, 1997, 1998, 1999, charges for theft, aggravated assault, aggravated assault with a weapon, and rape. With a record like that, that guy, once he was on to the 2000 carjacking and kidnapping, should have been a lifer. So it's not about the semantics of 21, 24 years. He should have been a lifer. We need, and the public would understand this, you want to say even for a violent crime, especially if it's not murder, you're not going to put him in for life, like for you know kidnapping or robbery or, or assault. Okay, I, I bite that. I bite that. But everyone should agree three strikes and you're out. Three strikes and you're out. You got your chance and you were let out and you committed another crime. And then you're let out and you commit a third one. At a minimum, we should have a mandatory 25 for two for the second, because you got your second chance, and mandatory life without a parole at, at the third. M majority of states have a three strikes and you're out clause, but it's a joke. There's so many ways around it. And even the three and you're out is not out life and parole. It's like a different, it's like a certain mandatory. 
it's it needs to be way recalibrated. A guy like this should be out, and that should apply to juveniles too. There should be no here's another action item. No difference between a juvenile, especially above a certain age, and an adult when it comes to rape and murder. This guy had a rape. I don't. He must have been like 15 or something. Doing that. And it, it's horrible what happens. Nothing happens to these guys often. I've talked about these cases before. You'll have like a, a like there was a, I remember a, a female jogger in um Georgia a couple of years ago. And you had this guy, I don't know, he must have been 15, 16. But I mean, he was much bigger and stronger than her. So it, it, whether he's 18, 20, or 15, 16, it doesn't matter. It's no solace to her. It's not like you say, okay, you know, an adult who does a low-level crime, we're going to throw the book at him, which we don't. But for a kid, you want to give another chance. We all understand that. We're talking about this. It shouldn't matter. And particularly, if they're doing rape at that age, they're incorrigible. You're not going to rehabilitate a guy like that. He needs to be locked up for life, even more so than an adult. And nothing happens to these people. They get a few years in juvenile hall, and then they're out when they're 21. That's what typically happens. A, we need to raise the limits, the, the sentencing on adults, and then apply them to juveniles equally for, you know, um, certainly rape and murder. And and then, I mean, you know, with robbery and assault, you, you have to take into account what's going on. But if you have these beatdowns where you have these group, you know, a group of, of 16-year-olds will surround someone and beat them and hospitalize them, no, I mean, that shouldn't be different. I mean, they should get 25 years. I'm sorry. This is obvious. All these Republicans are talking about, eh, you know, fund the police, uh, too much crime. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. And in fact, they're with the right on crime organizations to push more lenient sentencing. This is what we need. And another thing, too, is the guy was called a weird pervert and he was stalking women. Um, and evidently, there was a pending investigation of rape even after he was let out before he attacked Eliza Fletcher. Now, he wasn't arrested, but here's the thing. If a guy, and this just happened this week, was sentenced to to nine months in prison initially with a clean record based off of nothing more than gesticulating at the Capitol, then you better believe, you better believe that these people, that if you already were convicted and you're on parole, good behavior should matter. So even if it's not like soliciting sex might not be a crime, but that should land the guy back in. So that's another thing we need to look at. Remember, this at a time, Coy Griffin, he was the Ottero County Commissioner. He was the Cowboys for Trump guy. Never entered the Capitol. He was put in solitary confinement. He's out now, but a federal judge just ruled that... They applied the insurrection part of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War, said he can't, he's ineligible to serve for office. Could you imagine that? This is the anarcho tyranny that's taking place. And Republicans are doing nothing about the tyranny side and nothing about the anarchy side. And again, this is all by design. They want these punks out of prison to beat, beat our, our people up. And I'm fine if you want to say, Daniel, I just want to abolish the criminal justice system. I'm a full libertarian. I hate the government. I don't trust them. They're going to use the technology and the cameras and the sentencing against us. So let's just, so fine. Then at least we'll be able to defend ourselves against these people. But no, we have the worst of all. So that's why I'm not for this whole police thing. I'm for targeted statutes on specific crimes. Because if you just have a police state, they'll use it against us and not them. You know, when I was driving down to Florida the whole time, I was terrified of being caught by a cop. They're hiding out and everything. They're only there against you, not for you. You, you have these, like, menaces in these neighborhoods that before they strike, they, they're, like, stalking and doing things. If you had a neighborhood patrol that would just kind of take the guy to the woodshed, they would get the police would be all over them, right? That's what happened to that guy in South Carolina. Had his life destroyed, kicked out of the military, made it all racial and everything. So the police are there to prevent our self-defense, but never there for us. Sometimes it's not their fault, right? Because all they do is apprehend. But nonetheless, because it's like that, what use are the police? 
So that's with that. But I want to make a bigger case here. A lot of people are like, eh, it's just Memphis. That, that's a blue city. But this is a Republican state. We should not be seeding Houston and Dallas and Memphis. And we're seeding even much smaller cities like Nashville, even Chattanooga. Violent crime is surging there. We can't just be relegated to the most rural areas of the, of the reddest states. If you have the governor and you have the state legislature, you control. I don't care if they choose to elect a bad DA there. You should have mandatory minimums in place that they can't get around. That the liberal judges they elect, the liberal prosecutors, you control the state. Houston is worse than New York with the bail break. And, 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 and the legislature still hasn't dealt with it. Then you have New Hampshire, which in 2018 passed bail reform. Similar thing as New York. They promised to fix it because of all the murders taking place as a result of it, and it was blocked. I think it passed the House, maybe not the Senate, this past term, and Governor Sununu is a big supporter of this. All the Davos people are. I have two cases out of New Hampshire. A man charged, this is from the union leader, a man charged with robbing a man and taking a hammer to his face on Saturday in Nassau was out on parole after serving a brief prison sentence related to 2019 stabbing. 2019 stabbing. Brief sentence. He was charged with two Class A felonies, first-degree assault with a deadly weapon, robbery, um, beating someone with a hammer. Okay? Vargas was out on parole for stabbing a man eight times in Manchester 2019. He was already, of course, a convicted felon at the time of that previous assault. He was in prison on weapons charges after a plea bargain called for a suspended sentence for the stabbing. So again, weapons charges, there was probably violence involved in that, then stabbing eight times, and and he served, basically, um, Vargas received a suspended five-year sentence in connection with this stabbing. What? That should have been 25, and then now he should get life. Even though the guy didn't die in this case, but he was severely injured, a guy like that, that is your pool of murders, rapes, terrible assaults, are going to take place, are going are gonna to flow exactly from people with that profile. These are the people that need to be taken off the streets. A guy like that, three strikes and you're out. Any mix, I don't care what it is. I'm not saying one assault should land you life without parole, but what I am saying is, any murder should, if it's first degree or what should be classified as first degree, meaning just no excuse, just totally murdering someone out of nowhere. Um, you know, there's no like, again, kind of like a bar fight and, you know, by accident he winds up getting killed, kind of a manslaughter type of thing. No, uh, you know, felony murder should be life and in most cases death penalty, not in 20 years, but within a year or two. But certainly any three mix, any two mix of aggravated assaults and robberies and whatever, I'm not even getting to weapons charges, should be, should result in um, mandatory 25 and any three should be life. Vargas had convictions of armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, and weapon possession in Massachusetts in 2011, before the 2019 eight-time stabbing. And he got five years time served after all that. But I'm telling you, even now, it's not like he's going to get life. Okay? I doubt he'll get more than a 20-year sentence, and then he'll probably be let out after 10, 12 of that. So so there's that. And then, as far as um, the bail is concerned... There is Manchester, New Hampshire. This is from The Patch. Raymond Moore, a homeless man accused of stabbing a 75-year-old man to death on Manchester Rail Trail on Friday. So again, this is happening in a place like Manchester, not just New York on the, on the public transportation, was out on personal recognizance bail from two recent arrests, including an attempted stabbing in Manchester. Okay. Um, when police arrived, they found more, um, and he was yelling, I'm going to effing kill you. 
Moore was arrested, charged with first-degree assault with a deadly weapon, criminal threatening, falsifying evidence. I'm assuming they eventually upgraded that to murder, but we'll see. He was released on personal recognizance bail and ordered not to make contact or be within 300 feet of the victim. Okay, no, no, this is on the previous case. This is July 11th of this year. Attempted stabbing, let out with nothing, just said stay away from him. Okay? That comes from a 2018 bill that dirtbag Chris Sununu, who believes you're a criminal, who believes children need to be criminalized, uh, kicked out of school for not wearing a diaper on their face, but a guy who attempts to stab someone is let out on a recognizance bond. Again, the Republican governors believe in jailbreak more than the de- Democrats do. Democrats just, they want their punks on the streets strategically. It's political, whatever. Republicans actually believe ideologically in deincarceration. The same dirtbag Southern Republican governors will invoke their evangelical religion. They'll invoke Christianity to say, oh, Jesus doesn't want people in prison. Jesus wants endless Afghan refugees. But never to fight the homosexual agenda, of course. No, 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 no. This is what we have among Republicans. This is why the big cities and red areas are horrible. It doesn't have to be that way. You could strong-arm the local government if you want on almost every policy, including crime. But this is what's happening. We have the worst anarchy with the worst tyranny, and it's all tyranny, really. We need governors that are going to say very clearly, we're going to have targeted criminal justice for people who are a threat to others. We're going to come down on you. For political crimes, we're actually going to shield you. You know, by the way, just to, um, you know, digress a little bit here, Steve Bannon had to turn himself in. He was swatted, and now he was a victim, and now he's being accused of crimes in New York. Why did he turn himself in? Well, because probably because he thought he'd be extradited there. He lives in Georgetown, at, you know, in Washington. But our listener, Fred, pointed out to me something very interesting. Even had he lived in a red state, Tennessee, Mississippi, Texas, Oklahoma, he probably would have still turned himself in because he knew that they would extradite him. This is another action item. We need to make it very clear that in red states, we need to pass a law that we will not cooperate with extradition to a blue state if they charge someone for political crimes. And again, you have to see how to define that in statute. But um, so not just shielding against the federal government, but against the blue states as well. But, you know, this is where we are. And then, and then again, just to show the contrast, there was a story earlier this week in um, Iowa where a woman was sentenced for killing her rapist. So again, I mean, it's a world upside down. This is the world we live in. This is why I don't believe in the messaging of fund the police. Either target statute mandatory minimums for specific crimes or abolish the police completely. But what we have now is somehow when it comes to January 6th, they have the evidence to convict people of non-crimes, hold them pre-trial. Yet when it comes to people that unambiguously murdered and did all sorts of things, somehow, despite the DNA and the cameras and everything, no, not good enough. They, they, the prosecutors have to accept the plea. So we need to deal with the juvenile part. We need to deal with the bail break. Another part is we need massive funding for courts and prosecutors to deal with the backlog. But it has to be very tailored to exactly what it should be funding and what it should go towards. Because the problem we have now is obviously you don't want to hold, generally speaking, you're innocent until you're you know, proven guilty, so you don't want to hold people pre-trial. But the problem is it takes two years to have a trial now. And then that's when they're committing all the crimes. We need the mandatories, the three strikes, and you're out. Ending the good time credits. I don't believe in good time credits. I mean, again, maybe for certain white-collar crimes or whatever, but not for heavy-duty crimes. Because by definition, it has nothing to do with you're good in prison. First of all, often they're not, like you see with this guy. But even if they are, so what? You're incarcerated. What are you going to do already? It's not about that. If you believe they need to be serving that so that they're not on the streets and for justice for the victim, they need to be serving that time. I don't believe in that whole concept. That's baked into the sentencing. And yet, 
Name me anyone else who's, who's calling for this. Name me anyone else. This has been a known problem. Every year, needless people are victimized. You have all these cities now, all these women that like to go jogging. The reason why, you know, the Eliza Fletcher case, you know, really penetrates the heart for many reasons is because people could relate to that. It's very common. It's a big known problem. It's open season on women. The powerful rhetorical political points that could be made on this issue is unbelievable. And yet Republicans won't take yes for an answer because they believe in Democrat ideals more than the Democrats themselves believe in them. Okay? That's the reality. Now Illinois, by the way, they signed a law that's going to take effect next year. 12 offenses will now not be eligible for pretrial holding for any bail. Second-degree murder, aggravated battery and arson, drug-induced homicide, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, aggravated DUI, threatening public official. It's funny, but then our people, they'll say they're, they're, they're different and they'll find a way to hold them. But uh, um, kidnapping, second-degree murder. And by the way, again, second-degree, like I'm telling you, often those people are a bigger public safety threat than some of the first-degreeers. Depending on how they defined it, and you know, and and the case. So, what is our answer to this? What is our answer to this going on? And the answer is behind every Democrat policy, the most extreme, radical, destructive policies is a Republican not only refusing to confront it but downright serving as the impetus for its implementation. You will not get anyone more fervent. Let let me just say this, and it's not an exaggeration. The Oklahoma and Tennessee governors, just to name two, they believe more passionately in de-incarceration than the California and New York governors. It's a religious experience for them. It's truly, truly sickening. These people should make us all sick. Now, anyway, now that we're on this discussion of Republicans betraying us, particularly governors, on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, and again, at the time they matter, that's the key for the crime thing. Every Republican now will be like, ah, there's too much crime. Nobody will ever discuss it. Just like with Ukraine. Oh my gosh, inflation. Oh my God. Well, you supported code fascism. Uh, oh my gosh, inflation, energy crisis. You supported the Ukraine fascism. $65 billion so far. And by the way, today uh, the defense secretary announced another $2 billion. Every day there's a new announcement. Um, but <clears throat> just on the governor point, <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about with energy, but we're almost out of time. On the governor's point, there is another governor's race coming up, not this year, but in an odd year, 2023. Um, so as you well know, we have failed to to elect a single good governor aside from DeSantis, okay? So all of the lockdown governors, the um, Klaus Schwab Republicans, all of them, Chris Sununu, every one of these animals, they're all going to get reelected. Bill Lee doesn't even have a challenger. Carrie Lake is the only primary we won, and hopefully she'll win the general, but that's it. Kentucky. Kentucky holds its uh, primary um, sometime early next year. Um... You might have heard news yesterday. Kelly Kraft, who was Trump's UN ambassador, uh, she's running for governor. She's independently wealthy, big globalist, and everything. Savannah Maddox is already in the in the in the race. She is the best conservative in the entire state legislature. Um, she has um, Savannah has led all the medical freedom bills. She's literally like Thomas Massey. She's friends with Thomas Massey. Um, picture someone like that. This is an ultimate good versus evil. It's potentially a you know trifecta state that should be a trifecta. They actually have a Democrat governor, but you know, you should be able to get rid of him. Super majorities in the legislature. And this is another state, by the way, where they've been into jailbreak and everything. And I'm just telling you, without intervention from Tucker and Laura and Sean Hannity and all these big names. 
how is she going to raise money over Kelly Craft? So I wanted you guys just to be aware of that. This is why, at its core, why the dirtbags keep winning the governorships and why red states are like blue states on crime, on COVID, on everything. Refugees, illegal migration, um, you name it. You name it, we're screwed. You name it, we're screwed. Um, a couple other things just to clear the decks for today. You know, a lot of people are talking about this legislation in California that's passing that will basically designate spreading false or misleading medical information as unprofessional conduct and basically making it that anyone who's not a shill for genocidal Pfizer in California can't practice medicine. And there's a lot of talk about it, but but again, like, I got to give the Democrats credit. They 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 they, they take an issue and they fight for it. Okay, so where they have trifecta control, they don't talk about it. They go and do no matter how immoral, destructive, genocidal, they'll do it. How come we don't have commensurate legislation in any state to ensure that doctors can never be punished for speaking their mind, for prescribing, for you know, speaking out against Pfizer. How come we don't have legislation ensuring that there is very loose criterion for board certification licensure so that, you know, the AMA and all these kind of related organizations, it's not so much the AMA, they're more just like a like a you know noise-making machine, but these board certifications, they don't have a monopoly. And I would argue with the American Bar Association as well to denude them of their monopoly on law. Where is the forward-looking agenda on any issue that matters? Like, this is, it's just, it's weird. Why am I the only one talking about how to fix any issue? Oh, he said this, she said this. Okay, but what are you going to do about it? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. So that's my lesson from California. We should do the equivalent of, we should be able to ban Pfizer in these states, just like they're banning proper medicine. And then you have the energy crisis. What did I tell you where this is headed? Switzerland considers jailing those who heat their rooms above 19 degrees Celsius. That will come out. COVID times 10. It is happening. It will happen. What is their answer to it? Electricity prices through the roof. The rationing. Small businesses can't pay bills. Farmers can't pay bills. What, what is their answer to that? Nothing. And by the way, I want to make it very clear. I'm not saying I have evidence for this, but something to just keep your eyes open. So you have all the arson in the food processing centers. Everything they seem to want to arson, they succeed. You know, healthcare, food, fuel. What is the thing the government, what, what is the most vital need of a human being that the government has even more control over than any of that? The water supply, right? That you rely on fully from the government. Okay? Now, I'm not saying I have evidence, but I, you can't put anything past them, and we need to make sure this isn't happening to rule it out. But in my hometown of Baltimore, you had this sewage problem <clears throat> where the drinking water was compromised. You're having this more and more. And I'm just telling you, you had that comment from that British guy saying it's not the, the head of the EPA there, the equivalent of the EPA in, in uh, their environmental agency, it's not so bad to drink reprocessed uh, sewage. Everything they say we need to be doing, suddenly what we currently are doing takes a hit, like with food and with fuel. Kind of interesting. So again, I'm, I have no evidence of this, not saying it is happening, but I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, this, is, this is the type of government we're now dealing with. Okay, so we really need to think of every last, every last thing going on. We can't rule it out. And this is what we're all about here. The issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. I can't get more precise than that in trying to define and quantify what we're up against and the obstructions we have in dealing with them and why the conservative movement, conservative media, the Republican Party is so much of a problem. Because they'll always focus on what doesn't matter in a way it doesn't matter, at the time it doesn't matter, and what actually does matter, they're actually on the other side. Even as they're playing the subversive game while trying to score points against Democrats and maybe rhetorically, oh, there's inflation, there's too much this, I oppose mandates, 
there's too much crime, the border. They support all of that. I mean, Republicans support open borders. They support criminals. Um, they support locking up people who aren't criminals. Um, they, they have no problem with the January 6th stuff and what's going on with that. Um, and then, then you have the whole military <clears throat> that Republicans are going to fund fully increase for the military when the military is literally destroying our troops, spying on us, at least the, the national security apparatus, which is funded in the NDAA, or at least authorized. I mean, the NDAA is where you're going to fix this domestic spying program from the NSA, and nothing. Absolutely nothing. I would make, in the NDAA, I would refuse to pass it unless there are civil and criminal deterrence, criminal penalties against individuals. So you're not going to deter um, the CIA and the NSA. If you just say, like, you're not allowed to spy on Americans, like the CIA and NSA can't do this and this and this to Americans, they'll do it anyway. But we could bring up on criminal charges, and I'd authorize the state governments to do it, anyone caught doing it, and then um, certainly civil penalties where someone could sue them as an individual. I take off that that immunity that they typically have and make an exception to it for that. This is what we need to think of. Again, we are all about action, forward-looking, um, you know, not just on crime, but on every issue. And we're going to mix it up a little bit. That's the best we can do is speak the truth, Micah 6-8, do what's right, walk discreetly with God, and hope other people listen. But recognize that outcomes are for God. We need to push for what's right. That's why I need you to disseminate the show to everyone you know. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.